Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hey TCC, thanks for tuning in. For those of you who may not know, my name is Shane. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. Uh, Go ahead and open up your Bibles if you have them and turn to the book of Jonah. Today we are starting a four-week sermon series on this book, which we're calling The Prodigal Prophet. And that's really a borrowed title from a book written by Timothy Keller. If you're interested in uh, Tim Keller's analysis of the book of Jonah, you can check that out. Uh, But note, there's different versions of the book. Sometimes it's entitled Jonah and the Mystery of God's Mercy. Personally, I think uh, the prodigal prophet is a much stronger title. Uh, The story of Jonah is uh, probably a familiar one. Even people who are not Christian, who are not regular attenders to church, are somewhat familiar with the account. They go, oh yeah, that's that's the one about the guy who gets swallowed by a whale, like in Disney's Pinocchio. You remember that? And a cartoon is maybe what comes to mind when you think of this book. Because it is a Bible story that is often used for children's programming, children's ministry. This is a story that non-believers may sneer at and mock you if you take it seriously. Right? You actually believe this? Oh, look at all these silly Christians who take seriously these ridiculous fables, who actually buy into these children's stories and think that a man was really in the belly of a whale for three days. Oh, and by the way, um, a whale is not a fish, it's a mammal. It's just another one of those things that the Bible gets wrong. This is a book, this is an account that many people will mock and sneer at, and maybe that affects the way you think of it. Maybe you're a little embarrassed by it. Maybe it makes you wince a little. Maybe your view of it is nothing but a cartoon. And you see it as something better suited for a children's program. But this is a deeply profound and important book. The truths that it conveys is central to Christianity. Jesus himself relates his mission and ministry to that of Jonah. Jesus takes this account, Jesus takes these words with the utmost seriousness. He relates this account to himself. The story of Jonah points us to Jesus. So let's turn now to the first chapter in this book. And set aside the pop culture, set aside the cartoonish ideas in our mind, set aside our preconceived notions, and let's listen and take this in afresh as the words that point us and direct us and guide us to the way, the truth, and the life. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. 
This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah was a prophet around the 8th century BC. He's mentioned, for instance, in Second Kings, it says this, In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Libo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from gath Hefer. Jonah is a prophet. He hears the voice of the Lord. He recognizes the voice of the Lord. He knows the voice of the Lord. This is unmistakably coming from God, and it's a command. It's not a suggestion. God is not looking for input here. He's not saying, oh, you know, pray on it, Jonah, think about it, get back to me. No, this is a command. God is speaking. It is unmistakable. It is distinct. It is clear, and it's a command. God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah uh, doesn't just ignore the voice of the Lord. He actually does the exact opposite. He flees in exactly the opposite direction. Now you can understand why Jonah would not want to do this. And Nineveh is not a city of the Israelites. It's Assyrian. It's the capital of the Assyrian Empire. This is a hostile nation, a hostile people. And this is a dangerous missionary journey. That might make you a little bit reluctant. And Jonah has no love for the Assyrians. He has no interest in these pagans. And later on in this account, he tells God that the reason that he fled was because he knew God would save them. He knew God would spare them. And he has no interest in that. It's striking, isn't it? You know, as Christians, I think we really want to hear from God. And God does speak to us, but he speaks to us primarily through the Bible. That's his word. And the revelation in the Bible is sufficient for everything that we need in life. You know, a lot of times people will say, you know, I I wish that God would speak to me. And yet, uh, they don't even read their Bibles. That's sort of bizarre, right? The Bible is God's word to us. It is special revelation. And it is more than sufficient for us to live lives in obedience to God, in righteousness and holiness, to become more like Christ and to obey his commands. But in our hearts, oftentimes, uh, that's just not good enough. You know, that's too generic. And what we want is what Jonah received. We want the clear, unmistakable voice of God to speak to us directly and to tell us specifically what he wants us to do in particular circumstances. You know, it's really not a big surprise then that Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of the most popular verses in Christian circles. Here's what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And that sounds good, and so we want to know, what is God's plan for our lives? You know, who should I marry? Uh, What job should I take? Uh, Where should I live? We want to know what the plan is, and we wish God would reveal it to us specifically. But here's the thing. Uh, Let's look at the previous verse, Jeremiah 29, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. That's the context of Jeremiah 29, 11. He's speaking to people who are going into exile for 70 years. They've been conquered as a nation. There's been death and bloodshed, and there's going to be more. The walls of Jerusalem will be knocked down. The temple of the Lord will be burned to the ground. And these people have been led out in bondage to exile, where they will remain there for 70 years. That's the good plan. And that's not what they want to hear. Uh, Here's what they want to hear. A false prophet emerges and says what they want to hear. Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 10. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and broke it. And he said before all the people, this is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, off the neck of all the nations within two years. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went on his way. After the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke, but in its place you will get a yoke of iron. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will put an iron yoke on the necks of all these nations to make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And they will serve him, and I will even give him control over the wild animals." Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. See, Hananiah is telling them what they want to hear. That sounds like a better plan. Two years, not 70. God has a good plan but that doesn't mean you'll like it. And that's what we see here in Jonah. God speaks to Jonah. He reveals the plan. He goes, all right, here's the plan. And Jonah rejects it. It doesn't seem like a good plan. It doesn't seem like a good idea. And so Jonah disobeys. And I think we need to see this. You know, we, we want to know the plans of God. We want to hear the voice of the Lord because I think we're under the impression that we're going to like what we hear. And that just might not be the case. You know, God's ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. And what is good from him may not seem good to us. You know, back to Jeremiah. In chapter 42, there's a remnant of Israelites in Jerusalem who have not been taken off into exile to Babylon. And their governor has just been assassinated. And they're in a dicey political situation and they're afraid. And so they turn to Jeremiah to hear from God saying, you know, what should we do? So the people go to him and they say this, pray that the Lord your God will tell us where we should go and what we should do. I have heard you, replied Jeremiah the prophet. I will certainly pray to the Lord your God as you have requested. I will tell you everything the Lord says and will keep nothing back from you. 
Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with everything the Lord your God sends you to tell us. Whether it is favorable or unfavorable, we will obey the Lord our God to whom we are sending you so that it will go well with us, for we will obey the Lord our God. Ten days later, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So he called together Johanan, son of Kariah, and all the army officers who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest. He said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition, says. If you stay in this land, I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you, for I have relented concerning the disaster I have inflicted on you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you and will save you and deliver you from his hands. I will show you compassion so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your land. That sounds good, but they don't listen. They think fleeing to Egypt is a better plan. And then it says this in verse 19. Remnant of Judah, the Lord has told you, do not go to Egypt. Be sure of this. I warn you today that you made a fatal mistake when you sent me to the Lord your God and said, Pray to the Lord our God for us. Tell us everything he says, and we will do it. I have told you today, but you still have not obeyed the Lord your God and all he sent me to tell you. So now, be sure of this. You will die by the sword, famine, and plague in the place where you want to go to settle. That's striking, isn't it? You made a fatal mistake wanting to hear from God because their obedience was conditional on whether or not they liked what they heard because they know better. And we can think that way too. We can deny scripture and disobey God's commands because we know better. We're sophisticated and cultured and we have acquired much knowledge. But our obedience to God and his will is not conditioned on whether or not we approve or whether or not we agree or whether or not we happen to like it. No, our obedience to God is based on who God is. He is sovereign. He is the creator and we are the creation. He has authority. And one of the most uh, maddening things as a parent is when your children disobey you. And you'll maybe say something like this, Didn't you hear what I said? You know, my words and my commands uh, don't carry that much weight for the rest of humanity. Um, though the world would be a better place probably if they did. Uh, but, but they ought to carry weight. My words ought to carry weight when it comes to my own children. Because I have authority over them. And how much more so than when it comes to God? But it's even more than that. Because not only does God have authority, but God is also perfectly good and perfectly just and perfectly righteous, and perfectly holy. And so any deviation from his desires and his will is nothing but wickedness. Obedience to him is a moral obligation. So Jonah sins here. He disobeys God and he tries to flee. But God is sovereign, and his sovereignty is on full display in numerous ways in the book of Jonah. There's no place you can flee from him. It says in Psalms, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God is sovereign. You can't flee from him. 
He is the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land, as Jonah says. And so he commands the winds and the waves. Verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. That's sort of odd, isn't it? There's a huge storm and he's just asleep below deck. But we see something very similar in the New Testament, Matthew. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. It's very similar, isn't it? And Jesus says this in Matthew, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is greater than Jonah. Jonah was just a prophet. Jesus is more than a prophet. He is God himself. It is God who commands the winds and the waves against Jonah. But Jesus can just speak and the waves obey him because he is God. He has authority that Jonah does not. He's greater than Jonah. And Jonah is a sinful, disobedient man. But Jesus does the will of the Father who sent him, even when he doesn't want it in his human nature. You know, he says this as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke chapter 22. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Perfectly obedient, even unto death, as we ought to be. Jesus is greater than Jonah. Jonah is just a sinful, disobedient man, and, and sin has consequences. You know, our sin makes us antagonists of God, where there's nothing but a violent storm between us and him. And it harms those around us, too, because we're not the only ones in the boat. The fall of man, the sin of man, creates hostility between us and God and between us and our fellow man. And the Bible tells us that the ultimate price of sin, the consequence of sin, is death. And sin must be accounted for. So they take hold of Jonah and they cast him off to his death. And then there's peace. The raging sea grew calm. There's peace when sin is accounted for. But Jesus is greater. Because unlike Jonah, he's not paying for his own sin or his own disobedience. No, he's paying for ours, for all of ours. We lay our hands on him. We place our sins on him and he carries them and he goes to a cross and dies in our place though he didn't deserve it. And he says it is finished. And by his words, he calms the storm and there is peace between God and man.
And three days later, he rises from the deep like Jonah and he leads us to repentance and brings us to salvation and spares us from the coming wrath of God. You know, remember these words uh, from our study in 2 Timothy. It said this, Here is a trustworthy saying, If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. As Christians, we die with Christ to rise with him. And we symbolize that with baptism, right? We are plunged beneath the waters to death like Jonah and saved by grace and delivered. And we rise again as sons of God to do the work of the Father who sent us. You know, Jesus gives us a command too. He says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. And so the question is, are we going to be obedient to that command? That's the word of the Lord spoken to us. And it's not a suggestion. No, it's a command. Go, proclaim the word, make disciples. And we will be held accountable to whether or not we were obedient, individually and as a church. We have a mission. We have a command. And that needs to motivate what we do. Uh, we, We just had our Blue Sunday last week. Right, And that's us trying to live out this command, right? embracing our name, ministering to our police department, making disciples, or our partnership with the Roosevelt Elementary or the care porter, right? dealing with broken homes and broken families and people in need, being obedient to the command of Christ to share his teaching and his transformative power in order to make disciples. It's why we plant churches. It's why we're launching a TCC East campus. This is about disciple-making. You know, Mario, our, our campus pastor at TCC East, has a real gift of God for evangelism, right? reaching other people, reaching other areas of our city that we're called to minister, and we're excited about that. We want to be obedient to the word of God that he spoke to us. But even if we're not, even if we fail, what did it say? If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And we see that in Jonah. We see the sovereign hand of God at work, even in Jonah's disobedience. You know, Jonah is such a comfort. Uh, He is the worst missionary that you could possibly imagine. He has no love or affection or desire to reach these pagans at all. That's not really what we look for in a missionary. And yet his ministry was one of, if not the most successful of all time. Everywhere he goes, he leads people to Yahweh, to God. Verse 15, Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. They come to know the one true God because of Jonah. Even through Jonah's disobedience, God's sovereign hand is still at work to bring about his will. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. And maybe we're like Jonah. Uh, Maybe we lack love or compassion for our neighbors. 
And maybe we really don't care whether they know God or not, or whether they perish or not. You know, the story of Jonah reminds us that God does care, and we ought to. You know, we ought to see the world the way God sees the world. We ought to see people the way God sees people. And that's a struggle. It is. So how how do we do that? How do we get a heart like God? I I think there's two things to point to in Jonah. Um, Number one, be obedient. You know, God commands me to love my neighbor. I may not feel that. I may not even like that command. But I can be obedient to it. And if we're faithful and obedient, God does transform us by his spirit to be like him. And the second thing is to remember uh, that God sent a fish. Because of his sin and his disobedience, Jonah is cast off into the water. But God is gracious to him. He delivers him. He rescues him from certain death. He saves him as he does us. While we were dead in our sins, Cast off, drowning in the depths. God was gracious and delivered us. That's a humbling thing. And we respond to that gift of grace by being gracious in turn and obedient to his call. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.